And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. Well, 10 years ago this weekend, I preached this message series. And you're like, wow, you went back and, and you're so lazy, you're preaching something from 10 years ago. And it's not that way at all. But as I was praying and seeking God, He reminded me of how God has been faithful for these last 10 years. And to give you a, a synopsis of this, 10 years ago in May, I went down to Atlanta, Georgia. Tim Tebow was speaking at 12 Stone, which is a church in the Atlanta area. And someone said, hey, if you can meet with Dan Ryland, who's the executive pastor there and a guru of churches, you can meet with him. I will buy your plane ticket. Uh, the church will pay for your, your hotel stay. And all you have to do is cover meals. And I'm like, I can do that. And I met with Dan Ryland. It was so great. He told me he'd give me an hour. He spent an hour and a half with me. And I first got there, he had this book sitting on his desk. And it was, it was called The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. And so I asked him about that book. because He gave me another book and autographed it and signed it and, and, and prayed over me. But right before I got ready to leave, he said, Mark, before you do anything else, read this book. Before you do anything else in ministry, read this book. And I said, okay, it's that important. Well, it must have been God's plan because I got back to my hotel room and Kindle had a sale on that book. So I bought it, and I read it. In fact, in the next, I'm not a very fast reader. I'm a slow reader. My wife is a fast reader. I'm not a fast reader. But I was able to read that book in two days, and it just blew me away. And I thought, man, I've got to bring this back. The other thing that Dan Ryland said is I, as I met with him is he said, hey, your church will only grow so big while you're in the current building, and if you've been with us on this journey, you know that five years ago we, we bought this building that we're in, and we're in process of, of selling our other building. There's a lease to own on the other building. But this building is 25,000 square feet. That building was 5,500 square feet. God opened doors and put us in this building. But at, reading that book, I started to pray and walk circles around this building. And it's so funny because when the doors closed, and I thought, well, the doors are closed. We're not going to get into this building. There was another building that was across the street and down the ways a little bit. And, and my, my friend Stuart's familiar with the building. And I called him up out of the blue and said, hey, would you be willing to sell this building to us? And so we started eating lunch, and I started walking circles around that building. But God just kept circling us back here. And I thought, wow, you know, God's into something. Before I get going too, too, too much further, yesterday, uh, my, my, our youngest son's getting ready to celebrate his 13th birthday, the end of August, and we're excited about it. And so when our boys turn 13, we say, we want you to pick out Three people, three men who can speak into your life. 
And they usually pick out one or two, and then we, we fill in the rest of the gaps for them. And the first person that Lance picked was Max Kola, former, he's retired district superintendent, great man. And, and I, he said, I want to meet with Max. And I go, Max Kola? He goes, yeah, can I meet with Max? I'm like, we'll call him and find out. And so here's a picture, and, and I couldn't crop it. Ignore the guy without shoes on, reflecting there in the, in the window. That's not me. But there's Lance with Max. Well, then they, they, hey, they go back, and I'm, I'm doing stuff in the house. My mom comes running in. She goes, Mark, you've got to see what Lance just came back in. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm coming. And then Lance comes in and goes, Dad, Dad, you've got to come out. You've got to see this. And so he's in a 1928 Model T. They told me it was a Model T. But you said Model T like 70 million times. No, you did not. You're a liar. You're a liar. Sorry. Parents, do not call your kids liars in front of people. Liar. And so um, Lance didn't actually drive it because it takes a little bit of, of work to drive an old car, especially when you look down at the, they have this, they have this anti-theft device. Anyone who's, who's under 40 do not know how to drive these cars. It's called a standard transmission. Yeah. And so, yeah, Dave, Dave bought a, an old car just so he could learn to drive a standard trans. But it was so cool, Maxon's pulling up in it and, and, and drops him off and we go for a ride. But it was also neat because watching how Max poured into his life. And so we left and Max says, hey, I want you to know what your dreams are, what your spiritual goals are, and what your financial goals are. And he said, Get back with me. I want to know those three things. And it's, so it's always great to, to, to grow your kids, to challenge your kids, to, to, to put them in contact, to rub shoulders with people that are going to help them to grow. But I, I, I want to start this morning by telling a story about a man named Gypsy Smith. Gypsy Smith had no formal education. He was called Gypsy because he didn't live in houses. He moved from tent to tent, and he may or may not have been an actual Gypsy, but that's just the way he lived his life. But he was known as a man of prayer. And in 1860 London, he would go around and he would pray. And, and, and he would see great things happen. Not only did he pray in London and throughout England, but he, pre, but he transversed the Atlantic Ocean numerous times. And he was an a evangelist that preached with such power and such passion. And people would ask him, what's the secret to, to seeing lives change like you're seeing it? And he said, personal, private prayer. He said, without it, you can't do anything. And so somebody asked him, he said, well, what's the secret of revival? And he said, go home, lock yourself in a room, kneel on the floor, draw a circle around yourself, and pray, God, start revival in this circle. How many of us would be bold enough to pray this an audacious prayer? Go open in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 6. And here's the, the backstory. So, Moses had led the Israelite people out of Egypt, and they were traveling, and, and God said, I've got the promised land for you. But there was a point in time where they didn't think that they could inherit the promised land. They, they noticed that it was a land of giants, and, and, and they were just small people. And they're like, we can't do this. And God says, yes, you can. And Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, we can do it. But other people said they can't. They believed the, the doubters rather than the men of God. And so God said, as your punishment, you're going to wander around the wilderness for 40 years. And so now is the time that they're finally going to inherit the promised land. And starting at verse 1, it says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. 
But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around this city town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horn. When you hear the priest give a long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into town. So Joshua called together the priest and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave the orders to the people, March around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests of the ram's horn started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as loud as they marched, as long as they marched. As, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the men marched in front of the priests with the horns, and some behind the ark of the priests continued blowing the horns. Do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned and spent the night in the camp. Can you imagine standing there and seeing people march around your city and then return back home? The epic mind games that are being played here, right? So what did they do? It, it, it said in verse 12, Joshua got up early the next morning, the priest again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests of the ram's horn marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests and the horns behind the ark of the Lord. At all this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again returned. They again marched around the town once and returned to camp. They followed this pattern for six days. On the seventh day, all the Israelite people got up at dawn and marched around the town, and as they had done before, but this time they marched around the town seven times, the seventh time they marched around, the priests sounded a long blast in their horns, and Joshua came out of the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. And this is the one case in the Bible where it tells you to toot your own horn. And they're marching around the city, they're blowing the horns, and, and the people of Jericho, they've walled the city, they've locked it down, they're in complete panic mode, nobody comes in, nobody's getting out, and you're watching this, and you're like, okay, what's going to take place? When's it going to happen? And then they even go back home. And they did this again for six days, and I'm pretty sure on the seventh day they're like, what are these people doing? And then God showed up. In fact, if you look at a satellite view of modern-day Jericho, you will see that beneath the tell, and the tell is a mound where they, what they would do in the ancient times is when they would take over a city, they would just kind of build on top of the former city there. And so in archaeology, they call those tells. And so when you walk through these ancient countries, the Mideast, Egypt, Rome, all these countries, you will see these mounds, and you'll think, oh, look, there's a hill in the wilderness. It's not. That's where an ancient town once was. And so archaeologists will dig down, and they talk about however further you dig down, you can dig from one civilization to the next civilization to the next civilization. But if you look at a satellite view of, the, of Jericho, you'll see that the walls were actually pressed down. God took his hands and pressed them down, and the Israelites were ready to run in there free of charge. If you're saying, well, Mark, are you calling this a circle maker because God has told us to, to walk around the city of Jericho? What, what's going on here? But one generation before Jesus Christ was born, there was 
a, a drought that it went throughout all of all of Israel. They didn't know how to what the, what to do, and the cisterns were running dry. Cisterns were places where they had stored water. They were dry. The rivers were starting to run dry. The creeks were dry, and they were. The, everybody's assuming we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. But they heard about this crazy little mystic who talked to God. And the reason why I call him crazy is he would just walk around talking to God. And everybody would kind of like, you know, walk around him. But they're like, maybe this crazy guy, maybe he can do something for us. So they went and they, they asked, hey, will you come and will you pray for rain? And, and so this little guy, he's only about five feet tall, comes in there and he has a six-foot staff. So there's about a foot of staff above his head. And he drops down there on the ground and he draws a circle around himself. And he kneels down and he starts to pray. And he says, God of heaven, I pray right now, would you send rain? And nothing happened. And he said, God, I will not stay, I will not leave this place until you will send rain. And about that time, a couple of drops started falling. And he goes, not for such a rain have I, have I prayed for, but I pray, Lord, that you would send rain, that it would refresh the land, that it would fill the cisterns, that it would fill the rivers, that the creeks would run again. I pray, God, that you would send us rain. And then the heavens broke loose and it started to rain like nobody's business. I mean, imagine little kids and old men jumping around in puddles and enjoying it and having a great time, loving it up, except here's one problem. Flash flooding starts to take place. Honey stands there again. He says, not for such a rain do we need God, but we need a steady rain that will refresh us, that will fill our cisterns, that will not wash us away. And I will not leave this place until such a rain have we have received. And the rains let up, and it started to, to come down in an easy fashion. And it said that the nation of Israel was saved because of such a prayer. Mark Batterson says, bold prayers don't intimidate God. Anything less intimidates God. So many times we get in these bold prayers, and I shouldn't ask, I shouldn't pray boldly, but God says, I want you to pray bold prayers. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers, and that's what He wants to do. God wants us to be circle makers. The Israelite people, as they're getting ready to enter the promised land, they're coming up to the wall, that these walls are six feet wide, and they are tall. How are they ever going to get through it? And in, in ancient times, what they would do is they would build these ramrods, and so they would... They, they would put these logs, these, these trees, they would cut trees down, they'd put them up as ramming rods, and they would ram against the gates. You didn't ram against the walls because the brick was too hard to, to break, but they would ram against the doors until they could break through the doors. But the Israelites didn't have ramming rods. Maybe. I, you guys ever seen the medieval, way, the, way, the medieval ways that they would transverse walls? They would put people in these catapults, and then they would cut the rope, and the catapult would sling people over the top. I think that would be so much fun. I volunteered Jack to go first. But they didn't have those either. What did they have? They had God. Sometimes in our lives, all we need is God. Joshua 6.3 says, You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Every soldier in the army is going, What's that going to accomplish? How are we going to enter in Jericho by just marching around? I mean, maybe we're marching around, we're looking for weak spots in the wall. Maybe we're marching around and 
Just to let you know about ancient cities, if you were in an ancient city, you had to have a way for water to come in. So maybe they're looking for the places where they could crawl underneath the water, or crawl underneath the wall where the river is. Also, not only did you have ways to get into the city through the waterways, but a less attractive way of getting into the city was through the latrine system. So all these ancient towns also had places where they would throw their, their garbage out. They would wash it out to get outside the city walls. Maybe they were looking for that. But that's not what God called them to do. God didn't say, I want you to go around looking for weak spots. I want you to march around the wall. I'm sure they felt foolish. I'm sure they were thinking about, how's this going to look? What are people going to think of us? Have you ever in your life done something in which you felt foolish? And you're like, people are looking at me. They're staring at me. And that's what's going on. But then on the seventh day, he said, I want you to walk around this city seven times. And on the seventh time, the wall comes down and the Israelites go running in. It was, not only was it a, it was a miracle, but it was a way of letting the people know that God is fighting for us. God is on our side. Therefore, they couldn't say, look what I've done. Because sometimes in our lives, we get into this trap where we're saying, look what I've done. I did this. I did this. I did this. And that's not what God wants. The late great Stan Toller once said, God has never showed up late, but he sure has scared me to death a couple times. Isn't that true? God's never late. He's never early. He's always right on time. Tell you something, as somebody who, who likes being on time, I wish God would show up early. I was raised, my dad told me when I show up for work to show up early. If I'm 15 minutes early, I'm already late. And so he always wanted me to be early when I showed up. And so I, I often say, You know, God, it wouldn't hurt you to be early sometimes. But God is always perfectly on time. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see, a miracle is a microcosm of our faith, saying, you know what, I believe in God, and even though I don't see what God is going to do, I'm still going to trust Him. Even though I don't see the way out, I'm still going to pray, and I'm still going to trust that God is going to do great and amazing things. What promises are you praying right now? Parents, are you praying around your kids? Are you asking God to move? Are you asking God to, to move in their lives? And I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes as a parent, you pray, dear God, I want my kids to know you, and I want them to be sold out to you. And then when they become sold out to you, you look at God and say, well, God, I didn't want them that sold out. I, I was looking for a 50-50 proposition, God. What miracles are you praying around? Several years ago, I, I, I looked at Terry and I said, we're never going to get ahead, are we? And there were several things in our life that we were praying for. And, and, and I remember just feeling that we were never going to get there and it was always going to be just outside our reach. And to watch God step in and do great and amazing things. You know, we had over 50 volunteers last week at the Cajun Bible School. And I tell you, there, there, were, there, were, there were times in ministry where I was young and I was dumb and I had energy. And it's a great combination to be. 
Because if you're old and dumb, you don't have energy. If you're young and smart, you're too smart to use all your energy. But being young and dumb and having energy and saying, okay, I'm going to go, just point me in the right direction, God. I'll tell you something. It's much better to be old and wise and have intelligent people around you. And to watch what God can do. You see, these are prayers. The building you're sitting in is an answer to the prayer. The house that Terry and I live in is an answer to prayer. What dreams are you circling? What promises are you asking God for? So many times, instead of drawing circles, we're drawing blanks. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. What's inside our prayer circle? You see, Jericho wasn't just a city. It was the first step in what God was going to unfold for the Jewish people. And he said, okay, it starts with Jericho. And so many times, our prayer life, what we're circling, what we're chasing after, it's just the first step in what God wants to unfold in our lives. And I'm, sometimes there are things that you ask for and God will flat out tell you no. So if anybody tells you, oh, you just, just pray for it and ask it and God will honor it, no, no, no. God's much smarter than me. Because there's been many things in my life that I asked for and God told me no. There's many things in my, my life where I said, God, do it now. And God said, nope, not going to do it. There's times in my life where I've thrown a temper tantrum to God, I'm not going to move until, until you answer my prayer. And God says, fine, sit there like a fool. Everybody will laugh and point at you. Richard Foster says this about prayer. Prayer is the central avenue that God uses to change me. What's inside your prayer circle? In, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 31, Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho. A large crowd followed behind them. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they begged and shout, they, they began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. But, only the, but they only shouted louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. See, the disciples looked at these blind beggars and said, you are a human interruption, and we have the Son of God here, and we've got places to go and people to, to, to see and things to do. Stop talking. We are not, we're not Uber, we're not a taxi. Quit hailing us down. And then Jesus, when Jesus heard them, he stopped and said, what do you want me to do for you? Don't you love it when Jesus asks blatantly honest questions? I mean, the answer is obvious. So they're blind beggars, and if they're hollering out to Jesus, what do you think that they want from Jesus? Oh, yeah, sorry, they wanted to see. Can I see? I want my eyesight. They weren't asking for food. They weren't asking for a handout. They just merely wanted to see. So what does Jesus do? He heals them. There, there are so many times in the Bible where you see Jesus just step in to the human element and do amazing things. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. What are you praying around? What are you circling? What are you asking God to move in? Your faith is measured by your prayers. Romans 8.31 says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
You ever had those moments in your life where you feel like the entire world is against you? And, and you're like, they're against me, they're against me, they're against me, nobody likes me, I'm here all by myself, God, you called me, where's the help coming from? Or, I, I, I'm in my marriage and things are just not going the way that I thought they would go and this is tough and this is difficult and God is saying, have faith. And we're saying, I don't have any faith. Maybe my, my faith is dry. Maybe my faith is cold. Maybe I just can't see where God is giving me a way out. I can't see how God is going to answer. And God says, trust me. And we're like, okay, I'm going to trust you. And God continues to speak into us. And so many times, Jesus merely asks this question, what do you want? From me? What do you want? See, don't just read your Bible. Start circling the promises in there. Don't just make a wish. Write down a list of prayers. Don't just pray. Write a prayer journal. The great hero of the faith is George Mueller. And George Mueller was known to be a man of prayer. And he had a prayer journal. And he would write in when he started praying for a prayer. And then he'd write when his prayers were answered. And somebody one time asked me, said, George, has God ever not answered your prayer? And he goes, not yet. It was said that when he died, he was lowered into the grave. There was a man that he'd been praying for salvation for for years. The man never budged, never moved. But as George Mueller was lowered in the grave, the man fell on his knees and asked God to forgive him of his sins. And at that moment, he became a follower of Jesus Christ. See, your prayers have the opportunity to live on beyond your life. Five and a half years ago, my, my, my grandma passed away, and she was in the, on this process when we'd be talking with my, my aunt and my dad and, 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 and uh, my dad's brother, my uncle, about how we were praying for this building and things were just closing down. And every once in a while she'd say, Mark, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And we had our opening service here. And my aunt and uncle and my dad and mom came over here for it. My aunt came up to me and wrapped her arms around me. And she goes, I want you to know, Grandma would be so proud of what God is doing. Your prayers live on beyond your lifeline. And I'm sure I could pass the microphone around and everybody could tell the prayers of somebody who's, who's passed away, but their prayers are still being answered long after they have passed away. Dan Ryland says, what we pray for, we look for. What we look for, we find. Frank Laubach talked about a game of seconds. And in that, he was saying, in those moments, those games of seconds, so many times in life, our moments are defined by seconds. A game of seconds, things that determine our life. And he goes, what are you doing with those seconds? And he said, I decided at that moment that my life was going to be a Live by seconds of prayer. Am I praying? Am I living my life in the moment of prayer? And he journaled about it. And he wrote about it. He said, we try to call out to mind at least one second each minute. We need to forget other things and stop our work, but we need to invite him to share everything we do or say or think. Hundreds of us have experimented with this until we have found ways to let him share every minute of our waking hours. He would spend a second every minute in prayer and just say, God, I, I, I want to honor you. 
you here. God, I want to make you Lord of my life right here. He wrote in his journal, he said, last Monday was one of the most completely successful days of my life today. So far as giving my day in complete and continuous surrender to God is concerned, I remember how as I looked at people, the love of God, they looked back and acted as though they wanted to go on with me. I felt that I felt then for that day that I saw a little of that marvelous pull that Jesus had as he walked along the road day after day, God intoxicated and radiant with the endless communion of his soul with God. Wouldn't that be great when people look at us they see God? Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. In Philadelphia, 1925, the city of brotherly love, there was a young pastor family that went to the inner city of Philadelphia to start a church there, and and they went to the slums. It was not pretty, and it was not it was not beautiful. It was none of that. It was the slums. Elizabeth Dabney was the pastor's wife, and she saw how hard her husband was working and, and, and how much energy he was putting into it. And she told God that if God would show up, that she would dedicate her life to prayer. And so then she started one day a week that she would completely fast. And she would go down to this area that, that, she had, that, that God had told her that God would give her and her husband to start a church, to start a movement in Philadelphia. And she would start praying over that. And there would be times when people would walk by and they would hear her crying out and praying before the God. One time she drew a, a circle in the sand and she prayed this prayer. Lord, if you will bless my husband in this place, you sent him to establish in your name. If you will break the bonds and destroy the middle wall of partition, if you will give him a church and a congregation and credit to your people and all, your, and all Christendom, I will walk with you for three years in prayer, both day and night. I will meet with you every morning at 9 a.m. sharp. You will never have to wait for me. I will be there to greet you. I will stay there all day. I will devote all of my time to you. It was said that she would meet every morning with God in that place to pray and to ask God to seek and ask God to move. She was more comfortable in the presence of God than she was with people. Her prayer legacy would long been forgotten if it wasn't for an article that was written, What It Means to Pray Through. That one article sparked a prayer movement all throughout the world. Mother Dabney received more than 3 million letters from people who wanted to know how to pray through. Well, you see, we're used to praying for things, but what does it mean to pray through things? You see, when you pray through things, is you pray and you ask God and you seek God until you see God moving, and you don't stop until the presence of God has shown up. And you don't stop until you see that God is answering prayer. We have become so good at praying at things. And someone says, I've got a prayer request. to go, hey, I'm going to throw a prayer at that. I'm going to throw a prayer like that. And it's like we're throwing darts at a dartboard. But God says, I want you to pray through it. I want you to see great things happen. Praying through is about an intensity of prayer where, like Mother Dabney said, I will not stop praying. I will meet with you daily. I will be so comfortable in your presence that other people will feel the presence of God around me. So what happened in that square in Philadelphia? Her husband started a church called Baptist Temple Church, which later started a university called Baptist Temple University. You may know it today as Temple University. But it wasn't just that. Lives were changed. 
people who were broken, who were lost, found Jesus. Lives that were torn apart, marriages that were torn apart, were healed by God. Simply because she said, I'm not going to pray out of situation. I want to pray through that situation. God didn't call us merely to throw prayers at problems, but to pray through them. I want to challenge you this morning. For the next 21 days, the next three weeks, to go on a prayer challenge with us. To dedicate three weeks saying, you know, I want to pray to God. I want to challenge Him. Um, I, I've got something that was put out by Church of the Highlands, and I've got it on our group page. I'm not sure how to put it on the public page, but I'm married to someone who does, and so she can help me out with that. But it is a prayer first prayer guide. I was going to print, send copies to everybody and, and hand them out, but it's 70 pages long. And I don't do that to intimidate you. Because it's not meant to be read from cover to cover that merely go through there and say, what can I learn about prayer? What prayers do I want to pray? How do I want to pray over my marriage? How do I want to pray over my kids? How do I want to pray over my community? How do I want to pray over my school? How do I want to pray? If, uh, you're, if we're having problems with that, if you will text me. My number is 580-761-6651. 580-761-6651. Uh, I will make sure that we can get that digital copy in your hands that you can go through that and you can really lean in the presence of God. It's going to be a great journey. It's been a great journey. I find it ironic that we started praying a prayer of the circle maker and we meet in a building that is round. And for those of you who are saying it's not really round, it's 12-sided, we're going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to forgive you for that. Make fun of you on that one. I look at it as round. God is doing great. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love.